This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi guys, welcome back to your weekly Stoke City podcast, Every Step Along the Way. So as always, we're going to look back at the loss versus Cardiff, and we're going to be discussing the upcoming game versus Millwall. And of course, we're going to look at all the key news from around the club this week, including FFP and also a potential new player on the horizon. Okay, and a little bit different this week. Um, Andy isn't with us uh, tonight, or at least he, he isn't in uh, in person. He is in spirit, of course, and uh, he's got some audio he sent in with his uh, after-game thoughts for Cardiff. But before we kind of get into all that, uh, I welcome back the one and only uh, Daniel, uh, fresh from the hospital with a little one in tow, mate. Yes, indeed. She has arrived. So, yes, the, uh, the family is complete once more. She... <laughs> Um, so yeah, if I'm, if I'm still going, I'll just put you know any of the last any of the last ten Stoke games on, and no doubt I'll be straight away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, have we decided on the name? Have we gone for Michaela Andy? Uh, is that is that what we're going for? Or uh, um, no, unfortunately not. Uh, the missus has pulled rank, and she's she's gone for a Willow Willow Nancy. Willow Nancy, I love Willow. That's really nice, mate. Well, congratulations. I know it was about a week earlier than planned as well. So, uh, as they all have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. But no, brilliant. Um, and it's a shame we, we've got nice news like that and we have to start talking about the shower that is Stoke City. Um, so, okay, well, we've just come back. Obviously, the time of recording this is what, four minutes past 10 um, on Wednesday night. We've just seen Stoke lose to Cardiff. Um, so, Dan. I'll come obviously to the only man here. So, uh, what was your thoughts, mate? I mean, it was a pretty dire game, wasn't it, really? Yeah, we seem to have plenty of, yeah, as per usual, we seem to have plenty of the ball and we have plenty of territory and we get forward and we get into positions out wide and whatever. And then we don't know what to do. <laughs> as no. is pretty much the case. Week in, week out, it seems that yeah. Once we get around the the penalty box, it all falls apart. Yeah, it's. I said earlier on. I mean, we don't really have an identity at the minute. I think. I don't know what identity is. I mean, we we went start of the season, and I know we can we can harp on about 
you know, injuries and yeah, obviously they're, they're a factor, but you know, we seem to be a ball playing, you know, team. I, I go, go back to the goal against Car- Cardiff against the game against uh, Forest. You know, obviously we had a really amazing game. We beat West Brom. We go into almost, you know, like the Christmas period thinking that this is, this is a pretty decent team. You know, we're not perfect by, by a long chalk, but we're looking pretty good. And I watch us, especially in the last few months, and I'm like, are we a long ball team? Are we a team that tries to play with wing backs? Are we a team that is 4-3-3? Three, three? I, I don't know, if I'm honest. I, I don't know what we are. Uh, it's it's a really, really tricky thing to kind of pull on. And, I mean, O'Neill, again, he, he he's obviously coming in for a lot of stick, as are definitely the owners. I mean, we've only just finished and we're getting tweets off God knows uh, who, mate, just... You know, bl- blaming the owners, blaming O'Neill and, and all that. And obviously everyone's very, very welcome to their opinion. Of course they are. Um, I think the only shining light to really come out of things since January for me um, is Baker, um, who again scores a, a cracking goal tonight. Um, and I must admit, mate, doesn't it make you wonder where we would be if Baker hadn't have got on this little run of form? Is that seven goals since January now, I think? Um, I mean, I, don't, I, I genuinely don't know where we would be, but... We wouldn't, we wouldn't be scoring goals, I can tell you that. Uh, Mazur hasn't settled in, but I think that's because, again, we don't know how to play to the guy. Um, we, we just we just don't look like we know what we're doing, do we? No, uh, we don't. <laughs> Pretty much. If it was somebody took quite a while there, we don't know what we're doing. And we seem to have, at the start of the season, we had a pretty clear mentality, a pretty, pretty clear way of playing. Get the ball down, play it out from the back. Um, take it under pressure, be confident on the ball, and play. You know, and play through the lines. You know, play it on the deck, and you know, wait for the gaps to appear, and then move it quickly when they do. Since since I'd say October time, when we we got struck by a lot of injuries, yeah, but since that's come, we don't know what we're doing. There's a, we've got you know, they they don't. There's no. Patience in defence. There's no confidence in defence. Um, I, I can't believe that Harry Suter not being there would affect everybody and their own game so so badly. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand that yeah we're going to miss him and all that, and we aren't going to be as good a team without you know, without him as we would be with him. But I really can't see how. Everyone else's game has gone to pot so much. It can't be down to just that. There's got to be other factors. No. And probably probably losing games and then going from winning positions. There's obviously a mentality issue because of, you know, we start games and we get in the lead and we just, like I say, we, we just can't <laughs> call on to it, can we? It certainly no. wouldn't be trusted with any of my dogs, put it that way. And I think, see, the thing for me as well, mate, Howard Ballis, who came in and we thought, you know, God, this guy's looking good. He can pass from the back. He's, his defending's been on point. Um, and for me, I think he's been dreadful this last month. Absolutely dreadful. Obviously, he gave away the second goal tonight with uh, just a stupid pass, to be honest. It's almost James Chester-like. You know, I, I said to you at the time, mate, I said, oh, well, that must be James Chester. And obviously, the replay came in and it wasn't. It was bloody uh, Ballas. But I don't know about you, mate, but I, I'm seeing, I'm starting to question how good he is now. Did he just have that new player bounce and we're seeing the real player now? I know he's a young, he's a young lad still, so I, I do get that he's going to make mistakes. But for me, he seems to not be able to defend, not be able to pass. 
Um, I'm kind of losing confidence in him a little bit now. And yeah, maybe this constant switching and changing um, of different players isn't helping. And tonight, you know, he's brought, he's brought Wilmot back in. Chester somehow makes the flipping team again. Uh, Fox, who was dreadful, he's come back in. Sawyer's, again, obviously, he's, he's kind of there. Uh, Campbell's come back in for starting again. Once again, I mean, how many changes is that? Is that four or five changes? It was four tonight, yeah. Four tonight. Um, we can't keep doing this every game. No wonder we're not getting any continuity because we can't believe to put the same team out. I, I don't get it, mate. O'Neill, like I said last week, O'Neill is not doing himself any favours whatsoever. We've got young lads, you know, we've got uh, obviously Wright Phillips, we've got uh, Forrester, we've got Bursic. If he's talking about, if we're looking at like, players for next season, Joe Bursic's got to be starting ahead of Bonham. You know, Forrester, let's see how good he is. Start him instead of Chester. Fans would have probably forgiven him for the Harwood Ballast mistake tonight, Forrester. He's got a lot of points in the bank, you know, already stored up. Wright Phillips came in, did great, like we said last week. And got dropped very, very quickly. So, I don't know. Again, I don't know. If, I don't think he knows his best team. I don't think he knows his best formation. Um, and I'm just wondering at what point this went off the rails a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think with the bottom one, I'm wondering whether whether he does. He sees basic as his number one, and he's 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 going to put a squad together for next season, hasn't he? So. Is he looking at Bonham and thinking, are you good enough? If Joe Bursic gets injured next season and I've got to play Jack Bonham, am I confident that he is a capable number two? If he has to play 10 games, 15 games due to injury, am I going to be happy? If you know, And Joe Bursic's not playing, go, don't worry, we've got Jack Bonham. Because if he isn't, then he's going to need to get another number, another goalkeeper in, isn't he? I'm wondering whether that's why he's been playing him. Similar to how Fletcher played at the weekend. Is he thinking, you know, I, I probably need a centre forward. Do I give Stephen Fletcher another year? He hasn't really done much for me, you know, these last few months. Give him you know, give him a game at the weekend. Go out and show me what you've still got, you know, that you deserve a new contract. Mm-hmm. And obviously he didn't really do much, so... That that's probably made the manager's mind up for him. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of players. I'd say Klukas is probably one of them because Klukas is playing for the under twenty threes at the minute and not not getting many. You know, not not even getting on the bench for the first team. So you'd, you'd imagine his days at Stoke are numbered, probably due to the fact he's probably on still on a decent wage. You'd imagine as well. Um. So yeah, it could be. It, it, that could well be. Like I said, it is, it is, he's uh, out of the door in the summer. And he's made his mind up on that. And I think that's where it's going to go. Because obviously, you know, we'll, we'll touch on the finances later on in the pod, won't we? But I think what's fair, yeah. what's pretty obvious still is, you know, that there's, there's still got to be a lot of balancing of the books next season. So are we going to he... have another season then of rebuilding it? Because fa- again, fans won't accept that. That's what this season's effectively turned into. A season of trying to rebuild, getting rid of all the dead wood, which, you know, in fairness, we've done that pretty much. Um, some people would argue we've still got a hell of a lot in that first team. Um, but, you know, can't, what, what did we say last week? 16 players we'll have when everyone goes back and if contracts all expired. Um, again, how, how many teams go and sign 11, 12 players in one, in one window um, and go on to do great things? Very, very few. 
I, I don't know because I, it's it's strange. I'd have to have a look at the numbers for other clubs. But I remember when we were, you know, I remember when we were a championship side. You know, talking 15, 20 years ago, and and every summer we'd end up bringing in you know double digits amount of players, and then they'd be on one or two year contracts, and then because you'd be hoping to get a gem that you could either sell on or or either you'd outgrow the player or the player would outgrow you. And, you know, and I seem to remember a lot, I say, a lot of players coming and going all the time. And whether that was just the way that I think, obviously, Tony Pulis was the manager at the time, wasn't he? And whether that was the way he was operating, you know, you know, this player comes in, gives him 12 months. No, you're not, you're not quite, you know, what I'm looking for bring somebody else in for 12 months, two years, and go again. I don't know whether that, like I say, whether that was just how we were acting or whether that was how football was 20 years ago compared to now. I'd have to have a look and uh, see, you know, on, on close recruitments over the summer and maybe last couple of years. Uh, but I so think let, let the me... high... Go on. Go on. I was going to say the higher up you go, like, obviously, top end of the Championship, Premier League and whatever, you do seem to hold on to your assets more because you get longer contracts, they're more valuable. So you do um, see less turnover of players, definitely the higher up you go, I'd say. But for a championship yeah. club, I think maybe 10, 12 players might be pretty standard, maybe. Okay, maybe it is. Uh, yeah, maybe it is. And one thing I think we're going to have to bring up, mate, because I mean our Twitter feed's going bloody nuts at the minute. So, um, in terms of, <laughs> and it's going nuts. Did you dare with... to back the Coates family the other day? I know. Yeah, that was a stupid tweet, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, well, no, again, mate, I've got no problems any anyone disagreeing. Um, again, yeah. my comment was the fact that, you know. Are they perfect? Not by a long bloody way, but no owners, I don't think, really are. So my comment on that front was, well, I don't really see any other owners with multi-million pound bank accounts willing to splash loads of money at the club, take on debt with pretty much no return. Um, I don't see them queuing around the block with then the Stokes' best interests at heart. Whether we agree with what they do or not is, is, is irrelevant for me. It's, has somebody else got loads of money and have they got just Stoke City's benefit heart, not about making money? And until somebody like that comes forward, it's a it's a it's a non-starter for me. You, you know what what would happen if they disappeared tomorrow? They turn around on Monday, we're putting the club up for sale. We're not investing any more money in the club. Uh, it has to be self-sustainable. Um, everyone would be complaining because we're signing no players, and we're probably fighting relegation the next season. Not that we're far away from that now, anyway. But still, if that happened, that, that's what that's my that was my point. So I'm going to ask you, mate. Are the owners at fault for this? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I fully understand and fully want them sort of in charge of this club. Let's put that out there straight away. Um, they, are they at fault? Right. Okay. So when. Tony Pulis was in charge when 2006, the coach finally took over, they brought Pulis back, and he knew he had a secure job. We went on a bad run, he knew it didn't matter because he had the, the family weren't trigger happy, they weren't going to you know, sack him after four or five defeats. They would give him time, they would understand that there's a long-term project involved in, in managing a football club. And you get bumps in the road. It's ups and there's there's peaks and troughs and all that. 
and they were lauded by a lot of people for that, weren't they? A lot of people praised and said, you know, Stoke, great chairman, they put the money in there, uh, yeah. they back the manager, they give them whatever they want. And also, you know, there's, there's job security with it as well. They don't just go around firing them at the first sign of trouble. They actually made a really good decision in when they parted company with Tony Pulis as well. Yeah, brought, in Mark, brought in Mark Hughes. There was a lot of criticism for Mark Hughes before he even took the job, before he even stepped foot in the building. Wasn't there? there was, you know, people driving around the stadium and and that and and that was all based on on what had gone at QPR and what a basket case club that turned out to be. Uh, Mark Hughes, you know, he did a great job for Stoke, and yes, he was held on too long. I think that's pretty pretty clear now that there was 18 months of decline under Hughes but at the same time when there's been three ninth place finishes and then a cup semi-final a board that has accepted that there are peaks and troughs at the first sign of that trouble is not going to sack the manager so people can say oh he should have gone he should have gone the summer before because we'd been crap for six months. It's like, well, yeah, but at the same time, we had reached the cup semi-final and been a penalty, you know, Marco van Ginkel at a post in an extra time, or, and then we lost in a penalty shootout. And that was, you know, that's how close we were to a Wembley final. I don't think they were going to sack the manager at that point either, were they? Because that would have gone totally against how they'd been running the club. Yeah. What he probably did do is he probably needed sacking about a couple of months by by probably November time, and definitely I'd say start of December, they probably needed to pull the trigger on Hughes. They left it a few weeks too late, and that ultimately probably left that yeah meant we were relegated. I'd say if they brought a new manager in in early January, early December who could have analysed the squad for two, three weeks before the window opened and then gone to the board and said, I want this, this, this and this, then we probably would have had more of a chance. Uh, as it turned out, we ended up doing recruitment via Tony Scholes and the board, didn't we? Because we didn't have a manager in place when we signed like Moritz Bauer and uh, Badu and Dai. Obviously, uh, Lambert came in. He was just happy to just get in the, get in the job. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so th- that position from there, that was their fault. They should have, they should have acted quicker. They then appointed Gary Rowett in the summer, and everybody—I can't remember many people complaining at all. And people can look back, and I've heard people complaining saying that we paid. Oh yeah, Phobia wasn't a good deal. Ince wasn't a good deal. Clucas uh, wasn't a good deal. Nobody complained about the time. I'd love to see these people who complain about them, and then yeah, I'd love to see them produce, you know, tweets, posts, whatever to say, yeah, oh yeah, I didn't agree with that transfer at the time. Look, here's my here's my comment today, sign saying you'll be no good, because everybody started that season inside the club and outside the club thinking that Stoke City would walk the championship in 2018-19. They did. Everybody thought that. Yeah. And then the problem with Rowett was he, he turned on the fans and they were what he, he spent a lot of money 
and they expected football that was akin to what they were experiencing under Mark Hughes. And they thought, we spent all this money, we've brought all these exciting championship players in, we're going to blow teams off the park. And Gary Rowett uh, did, doesn't want to play that way, does he? He never has done. He's he's a good manager at getting the best out of limited footballers. Or, you know, he gets, he gets them organised. He gets teams organised, rigid defence and everything else. They don't concede many goals. And then he uses a bit of flair further up the pitch. Quite yeah. similar to somebody we were talking about earlier on in this conversation. <laughs> um, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that championship level. If you don't concede goals, you're not going to lose games. But the problem was, in was he couldn't get us to create enough going forward either, could he? So we didn't score many goals. We had too many draws. And that led then, obviously, to clashing with the fans. He turned on the fans over Bojan, didn't he? And that was it then. Um he was never that was it for him because the fans turned on him and and yeah like I said there's no coming back from that situation um again he then appointed Nathan Jones and everybody's saying what a breath of fresh air this is he's a young exciting manager uh, he's done really well you know we've got a manager who can bring new ideas uh, modern football and all that and it just didn't work out. Again, nobody nobody really was criticised at the time, were they? Nobody was saying, well, why haven't we got Sam Allardyce in charge or something like that? They were saying, no, look at this. This ticks all the boxes of exciting, you know, it's, it's unknown and all that. It, you know, it's, it might say modern, but it didn't work out. And he went and Michael O'Neill came in. And I'll be honest, when Michael O'Neill came in, I thought, how the hell have we managed to get him? I thought he was a shoe-in for a Premier League job after what he'd done with Northern Ireland. And obviously the only three reason he probably didn't get one is a lack of real club experience. And the, um, But what he has got is he did a lot of the day-to-day running uh, when he was working in Scotland in club management and Ireland. And then when he was in charge at Northern Ireland, he also did a lot of the day-to-day, you know, the admin side of it. I'm not saying he sat behind him with a computer, and, but you know what I mean? Like the... He took on a lot of roles to make sure he was fully in charge across the board. And that's the kind of manager they want. They don't want a head coach. They want a manager. But the thing is, when you have a manager, not a head coach, then you really have to back that manager. You can't have a manager in charge and then not um, go with what he wants. Obviously, the head coach position is a completely different one because you have like a director of football or somebody that yeah. that would that would oversee signing players and who comes in, etc. And the manager just gets gets them done to, and he then works with them. He probably have, he probably you know they do have a say, or there'll be a shortlist drawn up, and they'll pick off. Oh well, yeah, he's my number one target, and if you can't get it, get him. Uh, last resort, maybe him. Like you know that kind of thing, but um, obviously Michael Michael O'Neill's gone, you know, really in depth in in, in his involvement in the club and the and the board have backed him. Again, we've had a really rough time. There are extenuating circumstances. There's been a lot of bad luck, a lot of bad refereeing decisions, a lot of really bad injuries, serious long term injuries for key key players, all at the same time. And it's just derailed everything. And then it's come back and we have looked disjointed. And we've looked disjointed, we've looked poor, we've looked 
we've looked inept a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, we've only lost one game this season by more than one goal. You're still, we're still losing games, though, regardless of how many goals. Yeah. And, that, and that's but, only because we don't really threaten at all at the other end most of the time. So it's easy just to lose by more than one goal because we we, we're never scoring. The other need to score one goal to beat us, it feels like sometimes. Yeah, but what I want to say, obviously, we've, we can't... We've, we've taken, is it now, over, it must be over 30 points now with tonight's result. Over 30 points we've lost from winning possessions. Yeah, 30. And that's a, men, that's a mental thing. That's a that's a mental block. There's something wrong with the with the mentality within the side. That's not a, that's not an ability because you wouldn't be in the winning positions if it was an ability. Yeah, you, know, you if it was, if the problem was they weren't good enough, they wouldn't be winning that many games. You know, in winning positions in that many games. The issue is either fitness they can't hold out late on in games. Or like I say, it's like a nervousness and a, and a mental block that they can't finish off and hold on. They get nervous. They they're making stupid mistakes. Uh, I think it's a nervousness, mate, because they've had, we've had forty five minutes to turn that round tonight. I think it's a mentality. I think that's that's the it, it, there's something there's there's a severe lack of confidence would be my guess at the minute. At the start of the season, that was that was completely the other way. And they, they had a lot of confidence and it all clicked in. And they, they, they knew what they were doing and they, everyone knew their role. And they weren't changing. The thing is, well, yeah, they weren't chopping and changing like there is now. That's a major issue. There's four or five changes every single week. And I, so, and that's, that has to be labelled at the manager. That, that is fair. You know, that is fair game. You, he's got to pick at least 13 or 14 players and yeah, the the most, and say you know you are going to be with me for the next few games. You can't keep changing you know five plays every week. Half it's half your side. Yeah. So I'm I'm struggling to see the answer in terms of whether <laughs> you think the owners are at fault. I like yeah, that you've dodged sorry, the question. I, I, yeah, sort um, of detoured off a bit, didn't I? Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think they're at fault because people are saying now that they are holding on to the manager too long, but at the same time. That is something that they have been praised for previously, um, that they don't panic. And they and I think just because other clubs seem to you know be trigger happy in that, I'd much rather them be, I'd much rather them be Stoke City and be like how they are than be the other end of the scale and be somebody like Watford where you have four managers a season just because you lose two in a row. Yeah, you know, that. I'd much prefer to be our way under the scale than that, put it that way. But yeah, okay. the, and I, what people could, people are saying about, oh, well, look how much debt they've got. I said, that's poor management now. Is. And I just go and have a look. Just go and have a look at championship losses for clubs across the board and just look from top to bottom. They are some scary numbers in there. And the thing is, at least the numbers that we are posting in there are numbers that we know that are secure because they, you know, the, the owners are paying them off and not asking for that money. There are clubs out there that are spending way beyond their means and don't have owners with deep pockets that are willing to pay them off. There are owners yeah. that are gambling their club's future on winning promotion within two seasons. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That is Dark that is mismanagement. Before it went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That is mismanagement. Look at someone like Reading. Look at look look at Reading and Swansea, both in the playoffs last year. Look where they both are this season. In hindsight, I think if we'd have kept Gary Rowett, if he, if we could have if we could have took that mic off him when we played Bolton away, <laughs> if we didn't have that post match interview, I think and he, and he, you know someone had a word with him and said, you know, just. I, I think you were maybe getting a bit agitated tonight. Yeah, don't have a go at the fans. Yeah. Then I think we probably wouldn't possibly would have even gone up that season. But I definitely think you would have got us, you know, at least a playoff place between, uh, you know, the first couple of years. Okay. All right. Good. Well, I think we've done uh, almost this one to death. Um, to be honest with you, but I'm going to throw a few things out there, and then we'll we'll get Andy's um, thoughts because, as I said, the poor side's gone down to Cardiff tonight and um mate you're a glutton for punishment i swear because i would not dream of going to cardiff to watch stoke right now so uh yeah fair news to you mate but yeah so um basically i think it was andy spraggs just uh, put a, a post up for the form uh for the last uh well it's done it twice so the last kind of 14 games as well as the last six so from the last 14 matches uh we are third from bottom so played 14 won two drawn five lost seven We've scored 19, we conceded 21. So we've got 11 points from the last 14. Um, and if that wasn't bad, if we take the last six alone, uh, we are bottom of the form table. Even Peterborough are above us. Uh, so we've won six, sorry, <laughs> well, we wish. Uh, played six, won none, drawn two, lost four. We've con- uh, conceded 10 goals, only scoring six. Um, so... Pretty dreadful. If Peterborough can go above us, the summit's seriously wrong. So yeah, again, pretty dreadful reading. But um, what we'll do? Let's have a quick chat uh, with Andy, see what he had to say, and then we'll move on to, to this week's news anyway. All right, guys. So um, full time reaction. Basically, I don't want him to go, but mate, I'm like Mike, starting to lean towards the Michael O'Neill outside. It's getting harder to watch game on game and to get again throw away a 1-0 lead you know conceding five goals against one team in a league is is abysmal um obviously scored four against him but you know it's, it's just getting depressing now don't want to put a bad mood on to all things seen though Marjo right Phillips back in the team he did well since he came on Vrancic did well when he came on um Maggio played a bit better um today time and you know being a player he is Good, but Chester needs to get outside, mate. Chester needs to get out the side a lot. I say it every day, but Chester needs to get out that side, and you know it's it's upsetting. It's upsetting. Now I've got um, a three and a half hour, four hour coach trip back home, <sighs> mate. What, what can you do? I think you know Swansea have gone above us now, and I th- definitely Cardiff. I think they've gone above us now. It's it's getting hot to watch, lads. And we're going to be known as a team who was fighting for relegation. You know, Michael O'Neill was meant to really turn this around, and this season the ship. It's just gotten a lot rockier than normal. So, um, yeah, we lose every week. <laughs> Cardiff for nothing special, are they, really? Yeah, cheers, Andy. Much appreciated, mate. Hope you have a, a nice, safe travel back. Only about four or five hours. So um, have fun, mate. Uh, I wish you could listen to this. and It was it was live, and then we could take the pee out of you uh, directly. But, um, yeah, I must admit, Dan, I, quite, I find it quite amusing how after about 30, 40 seconds of that audio, 
um, Andy presses fast forward on himself. Is that one of those old radiograms or, you know, where you put on double <laughs> speed by accident? You know, the old record players. Um, I, I love that. <laughs> I think he, he, he gets a bit emotional and then it goes, uh, it goes really quick. So, uh, yeah, Andy, you, you've, you've got no combat, mate, because this isn't live. So, yeah, tough. Um, but, yeah, no, as I said, fair play, mate. You're going all that way. You deserve better. Everyone who went there today deserves better. Um, and uh, yeah, with before we kind of go into the news, uh, Rory, a very regular listener, has sent in some audio uh, for what she thought about after today's game. Hello, um, thanks for having me. I don't quite know where to start, um, but I've heard that Chester was absolutely awful again. Um, I think it's time that we get rid of Chester now. Um, and even more, the Michael O'Neill comments are coming in, and I just I think now more than ever, we need to just back the boys um, and back O'Neill and whatever decisions he's making, even though some decisions are stupid. Um, but I am purely waiting for the text message, the, the message that Mike O'Neill's gone. Um, but it is a case of gone or stay. I think he'll stay till the end of the season. Um, if he doesn't, then I won't be surprised. Um I think man of the match, it'd probably go to Lewis Baker because I saw the goal and the goal was gorgeous, to be fair. It was a nice scream and everyone was like, oh, well, he only scores tappings. Bye, guy. Lewis Baker doesn't fail with us and his tappings. Um, but I just think Stoke need to up the game now and purely decide what they're doing and where they're going with this because we're just going further and further down the table. Um, I, we face Millwall on Saturday. Gutted I can't go because it's purely going to be a violent match with the fans. and I hope it isn't, but it's just one of them that it's going to be a risky game. But I'm predicting 2-1 for that game. So I can't wait to be involved in the women's involvement podcast. That'll be fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks very much, Rory. Much appreciate it, mate. So you're clearly a Michael O'Neill um, in type person still. So he's still got some supporters out there. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm still on the fence. I really am at the minute. But uh, I think one thing that I, th- I think Rory echoes a lot of what we all thought, really. We just want some direction from the club. Like she says, either come out and back him or come out and sack him. One or the other. Yeah, they- they've-, they've got to give an indication of what the plan is and, and what they're going to do. And and Dan, like you said to me earlier on, mate, um, if they're going to sack him, just get him gone now. Let, let us have some time to look at the team, you know, find somebody new and just have... Now is the time to do it. While we've got all these contracts out, now is the time. If they wait until, you know... Let's, let's, let's say they, they don't come out and say anything, but they don't sack him, they give him, you know, 10 players in the summer... Uh, and then he doesn't start while well in the sack him anyway. At that point, that manager's then, you know, basically left with players he probably doesn't even want. So which is again going to start the whole merry-go-round of how do we get rid of these people? So we need to we need we need a decision either way, don't we? Soon to be to be fair, Dan. Yeah, like I said to you, they're gonna it it makes no sense for them to sack him in the summer. Either they decide at this point because the season's over. The season's over. So the results between now and the end of the season, to me, play secondary to the planning for next season. I, you know, I, I would be more interested in playing a few of the younger lads you know, between now and the end of the season, players who he's unsure about and him using it to 
mould and prepare a squad for next season. But I'll tell you what I would do as well, because it what happens is clubs tend to do it in the last three games of the season. By that point, most of the teams in the division are, are doing the same thing. So you and the, so the intensity levels are down and all that, and you don't get the same you don't get the same in, um, sort of importance on a match and the same uh, levels and that you know, everything drops. The performance levels of, of the players around them drop because they're, looking, they're on the beach, aren't they, half of them, during by that point. <laughs> so they're on the bloody beach now, half of them. Well, ours are, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like there's nine games left. So Millwall, on Saturday, Millwall still, yeah, they're, they're banging form. We've just seen there, 14 points. Top of the form table. Yeah, 14 points from six games. Only conceded once in, in that time. So, what, what a great time to throw a couple of young lads in for me. But anyway, yeah, so we've literally done that game to, to death now. Okay, doke. So, uh, Stoke City news this week. There's not an awful lot of it, to be honest with you. There's a few things we want to run through, but... Um, so let's start off with the first bit of news, and it's the even though the, the window is very much closed, uh, we've got George Wilkinson, uh, who has actually joined Stoke on his second week of trial. Uh, so he's been doing really, really well in the National League this season. I think he's appeared ten times for Dover Athletic. Um, so we've taken him on loan. He's he's a bit of a, a kind of you know, flexible midfielder. He seems to have spent a lot of time in the mids, uh, centre mid. He seems to have spent a lot of time on the right side of midfield as well. Um, and he's only 17, so again, there's a lot of development still to happen with him. It wouldn't surprise me if one of two things happen uh, with this chap. So I think either he'll go into our under-18s and very quickly into the under-23 crop of players, or he'll probably go out um, on loan as well. So um, again, we're still constantly trying to bang down that kind of you know under-18, under-23 pool of players, uh, now bringing in some promising people from obviously even further down the uh, the pecking order. Um, do you know much about this guy at all, Dan? Or uh, No, nothing at all. Um, yes, my football knowledge doesn't quite dip into 17-year-old Dover Athletic midfielders, unfortunately. Uh, but you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the fact he's been playing, like I say, National League level, at that age is, is, a, is a positive. You know, first-team football anywhere, if it's 17... You know, would would suggest that he's got a bit of promise, and yeah, Stoke will probably take him in, nurture him. I know they do similar things with like Will Goodwin, who they had from Chester, haven't they? And you know, they've had a couple of uh, players like that. They like picking them up around this age. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he uh, if they offer him something more permanent. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, see, see what happens with him, mate. I mean, again, we know nothing about him, so just one to to keep an eye on. But I, I personally think they'll probably probably sign him and send him back out on loan to National League. I suppose that's quite possible. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe he'll go back to Dover or something. Um, but yeah, let, let's see what happens on that one. Um, in uh, more of an interesting perspective, as uh, we've got the uh, FFP slash uh, stadium sale slash FFP dodge. Uh, is probably the best way of really putting it. Um, so obviously everyone knows really he's been following Stoke in the last week. The owners brought the stadium uh, last year. We didn't really know. I think there was rumours about it happening, but um, yeah, there was nothing at all certain. So uh, to be precise, on May the 28th, 2001, Stoke brought the stadium 
uh, and obviously Bet365, shall we say, brought the stadium. Now, they paid $70.25 million for that stadium. <laughs> and uh, it cost uh, $16 million quid to build, which uh, was, if I'm not mistaken, Dan, it was uh, kind of part funded by the council, if my memory serves me correctly. It was indeed. It was a community stadium. It was, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, I think, I think they paid a very good chunk towards it. I think it was at least 50%. If I remember rightly, but again, we're going back some years here. Yeah, because um, they, they were the they were the majority sort of owners, weren't they, for a long time? Mm-hmm. It was only when uh, the Icelanders were brought out in the mid two thousands that that we sort of then went and brought the stadium. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I said that I remember it quite well. Um, now, what was quite interesting about the whole sale piece? Um, so it was just under a, a kind of a kind of over a well, it was going to be over a month until the new EFL rules came in which obviously stopped clubs selling stadiums at a profit now that, as we know that's one hell of a bloody profit uh from 16 million to 70 uh for a stadium that's let's be honest needs work doing to it uh and there's a lot of upkeep that needs to be done on that stadium and there needs to be new paint jobs and obviously you know the club are investing in that over the next four or five years so fair enough but yeah quite clearly i think one thing dan that this really showed to me is we've clearly looked at this early on last year and thought we're going to be screwed on FFP unless we find a way around this. And obviously, you know, the Coates family and of course Tony Scholes being the accountant that he is and and whatnot, um, have found a way around it. And it makes me realize if we hadn't have done this, how far away from FFP we probably were. It's pretty scary, really. Um, but we've we've had to sell a stadium for 70 million quid to just about get over the line. Not doesn't make good reading. And obviously we can only do this once. Yeah, well, well, we wouldn't be able to do it again, would we? If it was uh regardless of whether we'd done it or not. So hopefully, you know, I mean hopefully the the optimum that I I mean Tony Scholes being the accountant that he is, I'm sure that he will have checked double checked triple checked all the rules and everything else around ffp to make sure we weren't liable for any sort of comeback on this and you will have got the optimum price for that stadium i was gonna say who values um, the stadium surely somebody independent's got to value that stadium yeah you'd think so i mean i was saying to you you know the, the land the land value in stoke on trent has gone skyrocketed lately i the other Trenton Lakes is a, the place to be. <laughs> Could make some yeah. nice houses on there if they knock it down, you know. Well, those houses that they're, they're building up the road, mate, have just gone up 50 grand. So I'm sorry for whoever's <laughs> buying them. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, we're going to have Kieran Maguire back on uh, to the show once the kind of official accounts are released by, by the club. Uh, we'll be having Kieran back on. Kieran's going to run through uh, what it all means because I'm quite intrigued to see whether. A little bit like the three-year rolling, whether that's 70 million quid instant injection or whether that, again, is spread out over a three-year period. I would assume it probably is a three-year period, but again, we'll know more. Uh, so we'll wait for them to come out and then obviously Kieran can, can do some commentary um, on what that actually means. But uh, yeah, it's... I don't think it was received very well by the uh, the wider football community, Dan. I remember some of the salty <laughs> comments that we had. And you know what? If I'm a Derby fan, I, I kind of get it um, in a way. But obviously, the Derby situation was slightly different. Their owner 
didn't publish his accounts, was very dodgy. Um, so it's a different scenario. But I guess from a club's outside perspective, they just see this as a as a very easy way of dodging the, the rules. Yeah, well, obviously, like I say, there's no way they would have done it had they not been 100% sure that it was within the rules. Because they're not... <laughs> it's pointless, isn't it? You're only, you're only going to get yourself in more trouble by doing it like that. So... What it does do as well is obviously that £70 million in income, I think basically it's probably bridging a um, parachute payment for another, like it's like the extra sort of Premier League money for another year, isn't it? Sort, sort of. Yeah. So it's sort of bridging that gap. And the issue was we had, we had players, we had a lot of players on long term contracts from the Premier League because we thought that we were steady, stable Premier League club and we got relegated and we got hit with, like I say, four, five-year contracts for players. And then to to, <laughs> to build on that, we then went and signed a load more players for massive fees for this league. Yep. It's just added to the problem. <laughs> it has, mate. It has. And we're going to have to tighten those belts now. I mean, some people comment on Twitter about that. And yeah, you're spot on. We've got to tighten the belts. And we have been doing over the last couple of years but the days of Stoke City signing players for probably even a million quid plus are probably over for the time being Uh, I don't think we're going to see that we're going to see a lot of freebies a lot of loans Um, we're back to to well pretty much when when the Coates family first came in you know they weren't splashing loads of money around they got a lot of loan players and I think we're going to have to go back to that type of a a setup now uh, for well potentially until we get promoted again so we'll see how it pans out, mate. But either way, at least we don't have to worry too much about FFP in theory. Um, cool. So you've actually been um, on the hunt as well, mate. So uh, Tom Ince, as I noticed he scored at the weekend. Uh, we always like to have a bit of a catch up on some of the lone players, don't we? Uh, old and old and young. Obviously, Tom Ince had into that old category. He's, he's been around forever, but he's not young young anymore um so it was the Alm park royals who uh, got in touch with uh, us around tom ince just to give us a bit of an update on obviously how he's been getting on evening uh just a quick couple of minutes on tom ince and how he's performed for reading so he's been here since pretty much the end of january now and played 10 games i think it is now for reading uh he's pretty much played every minute uh since he's been here and i don't think he's i think he's been subbed off once in the 89th minute in a home win against birmingham overall it's not been a bad signing i think it's kind of a signing which uh gave reading a little bit more of an option on the right hand side in terms of he's a bit more effective than potentially what we had and uh, although it's not necessarily resulting in that many assists or goals. I think he's got one assist so far and he scored his first goal last night away at Bournemouth with a with a pretty decent air, uh, edge of the box shot after a corner. He he has worked hard. He he does track back. He does put put the effort in which is kind of what Reading fans have, have been wanting to see out of the players now for months. So it's it's good to see We've got someone like that who who cares. The the whole situation with his dad coming in to manage the club is a, is another situation entirely. 
no one's really sure how that's worked. No one's really sure why it's happened. And it seems, it seems like there must be some kind of an involvement from from Tom coming into the club for Paul Ince to be at Reading. Otherwise, there's just no way it would be happening. Unaware as to who Tom Ince's agent is, but strong leaning suggests it's probably Kia Jarabchen because without it, I don't really think that Paul Ince gets a job at Reading. Um, and my guess is that if that's the case, it's not. It wouldn't go down well with Reading fans if he was to become a permanent signing at Reading, um, because there's so much meddling already going on within the club as it is from from Keir Drabjian. Um But overall, Tomins, he hasn't exceeded expectations, but he's certainly not underperforming either. Um, so relatively pleased overall, and you know, hope hopefully he'll he'll kind of be an effective piece in terms of keeping us up this season. Okay, yeah, thank you very much indeed for the overview. Um, sounds very much like Tom Ince, that. Not a bad signing, not been too impressive. Scores from the edge of the box, tracks back. That's pretty much it. Uh, so that, that pretty much sounds like Tom Ince all over that, Dan, doesn't it? Yes, we know that very well, don't we, <laughs> that Tom Ince? Um, we, we do. Yeah, I suppose playing for his father, he's always going to be putting in, and obviously playing for a contract and playing for his dad. So, yeah, he's uh, he's got... Make sure he's going to be picked up by somebody in the summer, aren't he? Yeah, yeah, he'll need a new contract, but um, I guess if if Ince stays, then he's got one for as long as he pretty much wants one, I suppose. But um, yeah, so okay, interesting. So, uh, Dan, let's go on to your favorite section, mate, which is the under 23s. Um, what's the kind of news on uh, on that side of things this week? Oh, well, we've got a mixed bag, really, coming from the, from the uh, youth and women's football. So we've got the under-23s, that's the positive. They had a 1-0 home win over Middlesbrough this week. A goal from Douglas James Taylor. Which again. I was talking to you, I say, yeah, yet again. Um, 15 goals in 20 games at that level now. So he's starting really to be knocking on the door, surely, to be sort of included around the first team. Uh, for me, I mean, he went out to Wealdstone in January, played four games... Uh, one of which he only lasted two minutes and he was sent off. <laughs> uh, he didn't hit the back of the net, but since he's come back, he's he's doing regularly for Stoke. So he's obviously learned a lot from that that month out on loan at uh, you know at playing the first team football there and being involved there. So he's another one for me that I think you know fifteen and twenties. He knows on the back of the net as if nothing else, surely. You give, give him a run out between now and the end of the season. If you feel if you what if you play him and you feel he's not good enough uh, for for now, send him out on loan or mm. leave him in the twenty threes another year. But you never know; he might come in, he might score, he might score two, three, four goals between now and the end of the season. And you think, oh, hang on, next year I've got we've got another option now. If we struggle next season for a you know, goal or a particular type of striker. And he fits the mould. We more confidence in being able to bring him in, and he's got a bit of confidence to come in as well. Because, like I say, then then three three and a bit games at Wheelston seem to have done in the world of good. So imagine what you know, three four championship games will do for him between now and the end of the season as well. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's as you say, mate. It's it's one of them. 15, 15 and twenty games is impressive at any level. Um, so he. He clearly, as you said, he, he needs either to to step up or go out on loan to maybe I don't know maybe a League One club. 
uh, you know, st- really let's test him and see see how he can do. Um, I wouldn't mind. Again, this is for me the perfect time where Neil should be bringing him in um, and giving him that opportunity. Let's just let's just see. He could be the next Tyrese Campbell. He, he really could. Be. And obviously the Tyrese before he got injured, of course, not the Tyrese Campbell we've got now, but still mm. the, you know, the, the Tyrese of of the other season. So you, you've got to give the guy a chance. I think I mean, I'd love to see what Tyrese's record was, but I don't think it was 15 and 20. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a shame, isn't it, that we haven't been able to hold on to any of these leads the last few weeks because if we just get one or two wins, just to relieve the pressure off the manager and everything, I think he'd find it a lot easier to bring these lads in then. But at the minute, with the, with the players being as down as they are, and I think... He, he, that that might be what's just holding him back with, with pulling the trigger on that and getting him involved is like bringing him into that negative outset straight away. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it might be the it might be what saves him with the fans, especially the, like the fans on Saturday, for example. If there's a few young lads in the team, it might just hold back any sort of criticism that could be coming his way. You know, because they will. If the fans go, oh, well, yeah, we've got these. Let's have a look at these young lads. Let's get behind them. Maybe. Mm. Which um, uh, Tyrese got thirteen and seventeen before he made his Stoke debut. By the way, in the under twenty threes. Okay, so pretty similar then. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he, uh, that was obviously yeah under twenty threes. This week they play Newcastle at home. They kick off at 7pm and like this week against Middlesbrough, uh, they're also at the Bet365 Stadium again. So, yeah, that's another thing. He's James Taylor as well. He's managed to get a goal at the Bet365. So, obviously, a game that I imagine would have added a little bit more pressure for the, for the lads and everything. And they managed to win. We are, in fact, by the way, the Fulham have already won the league. Sound familiar, does it? <laughs> <laughs> in the under-23s. Uh, they've already won like the the second tier of under twenty three league, but we are fourth. So we are with the second to fifth going to playoffs, and we're fourth at the minute with a game in hand on the teams who are chasing us as well. So we're all set. I think there's six six or seven games left, if I'm not mistaken, uh, before the playoffs. So we are yeah well set for a for a playoff. To go up in that league as well, so that's all good. At least one uh, of the Stoke teams are. Yeah, not so good for the under 18s though. They are struggling in the league, and uh, they're also out of the league cup now. And they've done really well, and they get to the semi-finals of the league cup, beating Arsenal in the quarter-finals. Um, but yeah, the five-one defeat at home to Chelsea last week. So yeah, Chelsea's uh, mega academy. Soon to be disbanded, no doubt, <laughs> and all sent elsewhere. Either that or promoted to the first team, one or the other. Um, but yeah, they they won. They beat us five-one last Saturday, and then this week it's back to league action. We've got Newcastle for the under-18s. We've got Newcastle as well. Wonder if they're coming down together. But yeah, they're uh, they're coming down on Friday, seven o'clock at Clayton Wood. So yeah, there's that, and then uh, they also got the women. They lost two 0 to Nottingham Forest last week, and uh, as far as I can see, everywhere there's no game this week. Uh, but yes, obviously that's that's relying on uh, the official Stoke side. Which <laughs> don't is... rely on that, mate. I'm surprised yeah. they've still got us in the Premier League. 
<laughs> yeah, so uh, yes, that is relying on that. So apologies if there is a game off. Someone can direct me to a more <laughs> a more reliable source. I am well willing to to uh, bookmark it and use it in the future. <laughs> Christ, mate! I think Christ going out any website that's not stokelating, you'll probably find it. Um, <laughs> so harsh, isn't it? Uh, but well, actually, no, it's not blinking harsh, and the coverage is pretty dire at times, actually. But um, anyway, that's probably a different discussion. But no, that sounds sounds okay. They may at least be having some success somewhere in the club. And um, I mean, again. We'll kind of come on to something to do with the, the ladies uh, shortly. But, uh, yeah, thank you for the overview, mate. Still uh, relatively positive overall. Um, so uh, that pretty much does it for this week's news. Uh, let's go and, uh, well, look ahead, if that's the right word, uh, to Millwall this weekend. Okay, and, and as I said, really, um, whether the words look ahead to Millwall are uh, the right words to particularly use, I'm not quite sure. But uh, either way, we have to do it. So um, this is normally a section I'd lo- normally look forward to in terms of Dan and Andy going at it, to be fair. Uh, and I do mean with stats, nothing, nothing else, you, before you rude people start interrupting. Um, so, yeah, anyway, Dan, uh, you and uh, Andy can't go at it this week. But uh, what do you want to just give us a bit of an overview of any interesting stats you've managed to, to cobble together? Yes, yeah, so uh, on the recent form, and we have sort of mentioned it earlier on, but if anyone didn't hear, uh, Millwall are eight unbeaten. They're top of the form table in the last six games with 14 points. And they conceded only once in their last six games as well. So they are on great form. Uh, just, yes, yeah, Stoke uh, 24th and bottom, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. <laughs> uh, Millwall have actually won the last two meetings between the sides as well and are unbeaten in the last six, which interestingly enough is the time that Gary Rowett has been Millwall manager. <laughs> the last win for Stoke was December 2018 when they won 1-0 at the Bet365 Stadium, a goal from Saido Berahino, the difference. Ironically, <laughs> ironically, that was Gary Rowett's last Stoke win as manager. Okay. It's funny. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it, how these things happen? So his last win as Stoke manager was against Millwall, December 2018. He got sacked a couple of weeks later. He's moved to Millwall and we played him six times since. And we three wins, three draws for Rowett and nothing for us. Strange how ex-managers do that, isn't it? Like, Pulis yeah. did it. Uh, just all you would think, wouldn't you? You would think that the the club, which has actually got the players on the pitch and may have five, six, seven players, say, who might have a point to prove, they would be the ones out there rather than a manager standing in a dressing room full of players who weren't involved at the club there is and he's getting wound up and trying to fire him up and they might be thinking, all right, Gaffer, all right, yes. Playing Stoke, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a big game for me, this is, boys. All right, yeah, and? <laughs> it doesn't, you'd think the players would all, like, in that situation, the the players at the previous club would hold more sway than the manager at his new club, wouldn't you? But there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe that have. has happened with Jones and Luton until, until recently. It's all gone to pot. <laughs> um, but yes, anyway, back to the uh, stats there. 
what had happened though, Stoke had won the previous five before that 1-0 win as well. So that 1-0 win actually made it six wins for Stoke in a row against Millwall uh, before we've now actually gone six games without a win. Uh, at Stoke though, Millwall's win last season was in fact their first, uh, first in the Potteries in 19 years. And Stoke's record against Millwall at the Bet365 Stadium is played 11, won 7, drawn 2, lost 2. So not too bad, not too shabby. No, not shabby recently, not. recently not great, but history has a yeah not been a, a happy hunting ground for Millwall. Um, and just a little point as well, they've only conceded thirty four goals this season, which gives them the third best defense in the league, and the best outside of the automatic promotion zone. Yeah, it's amazing how. how how they've just come out feels well i don't know it feels like they've come out of nowhere um and been marching up the league i mean clearly they they haven't come out of nowhere it's just it's just one of them clubs that no one really cares about i think i think that's probably what it is to be honest dan but um Ouch. <laughs> yeah it's a bit harsh, <laughs> that. Uh, but no yeah it's it does feel like they've come out of nowhere the same with with luton and i think obviously luton have managed to do that for a while but they've been very easily noticed just recently but yeah as you say mate i I'm not quite sure which which way uh, this one's going to go personally. Um, I know, obviously, in terms of we like to do score predictions and, and, and teams and stuff like that. I'm not even going to give you a team this week, mate. Firstly, because I've not even had a chance to make one. Uh, and then secondly, uh, because, <laughs> I don't know, he's going to make about 10 changes. So, you know, I, I genuinely haven't got a blinking clue who's, who's going to play where. So I'm not going to give you a team this week. If you've got one, mate, go for it. Um, let me know, but I haven't got a team for you. I've got a 1-1 prediction for you. I think it's going to be close. Um, wouldn't I say wouldn't surprise me to lose. Uh, it definitely wouldn't surprise me that, that, that we could lose that one, knowing our home form and obviously the fact we're playing uh, the, the, the top versus bottom worth of actual form. But um, have you even had a chance to look at your team yet? Uh, yes, I sort of have, and uh, I'll, I'll fire it away across to you now. I think, yeah, I, I want to see Joe Bursic back in goal. Hurrah, yes. I've, I've made my mind up on Jack Bonham. <laughs> <laughs> He's made a couple of decent saves, but yeah, they're just... For, for, we, we need a goalkeeper who is comfortable on the ball as well, don't we? Because he's obviously that is the way he's looking to play, and it's not working because... They aren't comfortable and they are lumpy along. Uh, I'm not. We're struggling at right back, to be honest, aren't we? Because Tommy Smith is injured, so I believe, and Ben Wilmot not really hasn't really covered himself in glory tonight. No, a few games now, isn't it? Yeah, and then Dehaney's. I think he's had a couple of games and to show the manager that you know we. Similar to what I was saying earlier on, he's had a couple of games where the managers had a look at him. Can I trust him? Is he a viable option for me next season, or do I need somebody else? And the fact he's not been involved tonight would suggest that maybe the manager has made that decision either way. Um, I would say Wilmot gets the nod for one more. To be honest, if, if if we still had Kieran Coates here, I'd be saying that he should be playing Rossi. He's out on loan in Tian Island. Um, so yeah, uh, so without him, I'd say Wilmot keeps the shirt for this week anyway, and hopefully Smith is back after the international break. 
and then like say the three of them can decide which one of them stays and which two leave in the summer hopefully <laughs> well i was going to say mate to be fair we could need a whole rook of right backs at this point or right wing yeah. backs whatever formation is decides to stick to this time i don't know yeah to, to be fair wilmot's wilmot's playing out of position out there isn't he He's uh, he's just helping out. I think <laughs> doing his bit of community service out on the right, on the right, helping him out. He's, uh... But yes, so yeah, get back to my team. Basic in goal. Uh, Wilmot playing four at the back. Wilmot on the right. I'm gonna have to put time and back at left back because I never want to see Morgan Flack put the shirt on again. To be honest, after he, I know I was a bit of a supporter of his earlier on in the season, especially in the back three, only because I think. He was replacing James Chester, and he he's not quite them levels yet. Mm. But <laughs> but yeah, on the left side of the three, he was a better option than him. Um, but yeah, he's, to me, I he just he just doesn't. They just look nervous every time the ball comes near, and he looks nervous. He looks he just yeah. doesn't look. Caught, there's just no composure on the ball at all. It's all just sort of very stabby, at, and then yeah, there's. I'll stick Josh Timer back there. I think Josh yeah. moved further forward against Cardiff, didn't really get involved as much. I think it was it was something I'd like to have seen. Something I think it's good that we give it a chance, but I think it showed as well that he prefers to come from deep. Where you fear the forward, you've got a lot more. It's a different game into you're up against a fallback. Um, there's a lot more attention on you there, where you can sort of drift into games a bit further and. Uh, playing in the position he has been, so okay, so yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd say timing back at left back. Um, do we know on Jag Yalka? Is he is he available the weekend? Not heard anything on Jags to be honest, mate. Because the, the well, the first centre back I'm playing is Will Forrester. Ideally, nice. ideally, I'd like to have Phil Jag Yalka alongside him because I think that that'd be the perfect thing for him to live. Yeah, he can be coached and taught. Yeah, be coached and taught through the game. Um, I'm not sure. I don't really want to put him with James Chester. <laughs> no disrespect to him, uh, although I feel like I'm disrespect. Yeah, no, no, no disrespect, but you're rubbish. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. So yeah, it's gonna have to be Taylor Arwood Ballis and go with the youthful centre halves. It's weird okay. before. Yeah, we've 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 played young centre halves together before. At the start of the season, we played Suter Wilmot. Ostergaard, didn't we? And both them, you know, all three of them were 21, 22. Um, that seemed to be working all right for a time. So, yeah, that that's what we're going with there. Um, I'm going to stick, going to keep Allen in the midfield. And uh, yeah, you got to, I think. Yeah, I think Allen and Baker are going to stay in the midfield, actually, as a two. I'm going to put Adam Porter in there with them. Okay, is that in the uh, like the Nick Powell type um, formation or? Yeah, yeah, I think maybe as a three, similar to I was on Saturday. He's going to play okay. as an actual three, um, but obviously then I think all three of them have got the ability to get forward there as well, haven't they? So it's sort yeah. of it's sort of you know take it in turns and stuff to you know to rotate it around uh, to keep the opposition guessing as well and, and keep the fluidity going as long as. They sort of, you know, get a get sort of a um, understanding going between each other, and also as well, Sawyer's who I liked tonight. I thought Sawyer's had a lot of 
Uh, I said to you, didn't I? You know, his movement and his energy was quite good tonight. Yeah. Against Cardiff. I think, yeah, obviously, we, we don't want to be pushing him too much. There's not much we need to know about Romain Sawyers to me, to be honest. I think the manager knows everything he does as well, doesn't he? I'm sure he's made his mind up whether he wants Romain Sawyers back at this club next season or not. And who are you going up front with? So, yeah, I've got to pick three up front now, haven't I? So, I would give Brown the start up front. Yeah. I'd keep him up front. I think we play. We look a lot better when Jacob Brown's up there. He presses, he pushes, he, he causes problems for the defence. Um, so, yeah, he gets the nod still. Uh, I would go again with Tyrese. I think Tyrese, I know we're talking about fitness for people like Sawyer's and that, and, but I think Tyrese, he, to get into that rhythm and playing uh, game after game, I think he would benefit from that now at this stage. He's been back long enough now um, to to really start pushing that, but the body of his and that, and, and okay. maybe, if I don't know if there's anything sort of mental block around his fitness where he feels, but yeah. I get it, Tyrese involved again um, on on the right and on the left. I mean, it's it's all gone quiet on Phil G and Bidace. I mean, we don't get much out of this club, do we? <laughs> Regards to no. news or updates on anything. Uh, I heard he got an injury in training on Friday, but I haven't really heard much about the severity of that and what that looks like in like a time frame wise from coming back. If he is available, I'd stick him on there because I'd like to see. The, the odd chance that he might be able to come back next season. I think we, with yeah. a pre-season under his belt, he'd be a good option for us if, okay. if we can do that deal. If not, then yeah, right, Phillips, by all means, needs to get on the pitch and uh, get on the left side. Yeah, OK. No, that's fair enough, mate. And, and like I said, there's, there's a number of different ways to go with with this team. Um, and I probably couldn't argue with a lot of what you've just said anyway, to be fair, mate. So I'm going to be a, a cop out and go for uh, what, what you've said there. Um, <laughs> Andy's, by the way, his message is on, on his way back on the coach. Um, he says, honestly, I've seen more emotion at a funeral than on this coach. He says, that's how everyone feels. No one spoke since we got on. It's silent all the way. So I think that kind well, of funerals some... can be quite emotional places to be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. I think it just shows just how just fed up people are, mate. I think that's what the comment is, really, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it's just fed up. Um, and again, when you put all the time, money, and effort into going all that way to be served up with that again, um, you know, I, I get it. I do get it. Okay, yeah, and uh, just kind of moving and speaking of audio, so uh, Graham McGarry, uh, Mr. Reliable Graham, has been in touch and given his uh, opinion on this weekend. Uh, so uh, let's hopefully you see if he's a bit more upbeat than we are this week. Hi there, you Potters podcast people. Hello there, it's Graham McGarry back again after the international break. I hope you enjoyed your little breather from your football. This is Graham McGarry with that Potter's prediction. Let's hope we get it right this weekend. Stoke City 2, Hull City 0. Stoke 1, West Brom 0. Stoke are ready to win at home. 2-0 for the Potters. Hello there once again, you Potter's predictors. Well, things aren't going very well, are they, at the moment? It looks as though it's going to be a mid-table finish for Michael O'Neill's side. Of course, in the first part of the season, everybody thought it was either going to be an automatic 
promotion place or definitely a playoff place. But there's still a lot to play for. There's still players trying to earn contracts, players trying to impress Michael O'Neill when given an opportunity. And of course, they're up against one of their former managers and Gary Rowett this particular weekend. So can Stoke City finally get that home win at the Bet365 and give the fans something to cheer about on their way home and something to enjoy over the weekend? going to be a tight game. They're always a tough side, Millwall. They don't give a lot away. I can't go for a Stoke win, though. I'm going to go Stoke 1, Millwall 1. Yeah, cheers, Graham. Thank you very much. I can see you've copied me yet again. You've gone for another 1-1 uh, draw there, mate. So, much appreciated, uh, as always. And, uh, yeah, I think even Graham started to think that the playoffs aren't quite on the cards for, for Stoke anymore. Um, cool. So, I must admit, there's not an awful lot more to really talk about this one mate I think it's just been another disappointing week um, I'm hoping that we can be a bit more upbeat after the Millwall game uh, I've been we've just heard uh, kind of off air while we were uh, having a bit of a chat but we just heard the uh, the O'Neill interview which sounded very very depressed and fed up um, knows that his job's on the line quite clearly from that so who knows, maybe by Millwall we might be talking about a managerless Stoke, but I've got a feeling we, we might not be. But anyway, um, international break next week. We always like to bring you a, a special wherever we can. Uh, so, Dan, do you want to just tell everyone very briefly, mate, what they can expect as the special uh, during this week? Yeah, well, it's something we've sort of been looking to do for a while, isn't it? But we've wanted to um, get the right time for it. Uh, so this should hopefully will be probably coming in two parts. Uh, the first part will be looking at the Stoke City women's team and sort of looking at their history, you know, how it came about, that, um, speaking to a few of the players and that there and, you know, and how they, you know, just how they got involved with it, uh, how it all runs, you know, and everything like that. And, and we know what they're looking for the future as well, really, you know, and how they're, how they're looking to progress, what, they, what their aim is. And then obviously as well, the second part uh, is going to be looking at sort of women in football. So it's going to be looking, we're going to be talking to various uh, Stoke fans, you know, obviously Stoke women fans who, who attend games. Uh, and we're going to be sort of, we've got um, people on there like Rory, who's been a regular contributor to our pod. So she's given it, us her experiences as, as a fan of when she's attending games and, and everything that goes, you know, how she feels, whether she um, comes across any sort of discrimination, stuff like that, uh, acceptance. Uh, and then also there's other Stoke fans on there as well. We've got, and then obviously we've got Angela Smith, who's going to be involved as well. So she's going to be talking about, obviously here, we're sort of rooting to the Stoke me- media side of it as well. Obviously, her sporting history as well, and, and how she's, uh, you know, any barriers that she had to come across for that. And yeah, we're just we're just sort of looking to get a, a perspective and sort of, sort of grow people's knowledge on, on you know how women feel around sport because I think sometimes people can people can make comments maybe and and don't really understand how that can be portrayed. Yeah, and, and I think there's a lot of people as well that that maybe that don't like like this. People make comments and they say things, and maybe they whether they think they they make going to get a laugh off the mates or whatever, but actually can really affect other people. 
and that goes that just that's not just a, a sexism thing either that goes for a lot of the variety of you know whoever you're talking to whatever you're saying to them about uh, but yeah. in this case yeah we're looking at you know do do we feel welcome is it a welcoming place the bet 365 stadium for example well yeah and it's, i think that's one of the things you know it's we've always said about this podcast this is just gives anyone a voice this is us giving our opinions uh we like to give everyone a chance to to voice their opinions we've always said that um and you know it's not going to be a a preachy podcast where it's all about women's rights and it it, it's this isn't a political podcast this is as you said it's a stoke city related podcast we we've got a very loose agenda but we're we're not going to be we're going to let everyone have their have their say and, and have their piece. And you know, Luke, if if you don't want to listen to it, totally cool, no problem. It's not for you. It might not be for everyone. But at the end of the day, we want to give everyone a voice. And uh, you know, hopefully, you'll enjoy it. That that's the whole point. Um, and you know, if there's ever any topics that anyone wants to discuss on this podcast and have a special or whatever it is, if you're if you're writing a book like we've had, you know, with Sam and uh, we've had Sam and Low on, we've had a, a couple of people who, who write books as well. So we've had a and number of different way. people in. Yeah, exactly. So if there's anyone listening who has that type of a uh, situation, get in touch with us on Twitter or even, you know, the Facebook group um, or anything like that. And, you know, we'll we'll have a chat. Um, So the door is is always open. So, um, but yeah, so thank you again for everyone who's listened this week. We always appreciate it. Uh, So we'll obviously catch up with you um, after the... uh, international break when we're obviously reviewing the the upcoming matches but i hope you enjoyed the special uh we appreciate everyone who's been tuning in um and we'll uh, dan i'll speak to you uh no doubt in the week mate but uh thank you to, to everyone again yeah he's dodged the quiz by the way for anybody wondering <laughs> i thought if i keep talking then you're not going to bring it in um so <laughs> yeah thank you mate we'll uh, we'll save that one for next week eh? <laughs> uh, see you next week bye mate the TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.